I'm Jason Bradford. I'm Asher Miller. And I'm Rob Dietz. Welcome to Crazy Town, where the video for our theme song was filmed on the deck of our mega yacht. Hi, this is Crazy Town producer Melody Allison. Thanks for listening. Here in Season 5, we're exploring false prophets and the dangerous messages they're so intent on spreading. If you like what you're hearing, please let some friends know about this episode or the podcast in general. Now, on to the show. Hey, Jason. Hey, Asher. I got to tell you about a dude. Nice story. Here we go. I love it. <laughs> okay, so there's this guy right in your same circles. He goes to Georgetown University to get a grad degree and in... Uh, Whose circles? Yeah, your circles. These, okay. these are the kind of guys you love. He, he's getting a government degree in, in national security, but then he goes to Harvard, mm-hmm. or Harvard, as we like to call it, to get a degree in business, right? Mm-hmm. So, MBA. Yeah, yeah, of course. Most valuable degree on the planet. Mm-hmm. Earn the buck. So then he goes to work at Goldman Sachs. Nice. Okay. Whole company. So Whole just firm. like the American dream. Baby. Just like you two were trying to do, right? In, in yeah, your early careers. So a few years down the road, our investment banker guy uses his connections at Goldman Sachs to get $60 million in funding for this outfit called IGE which, of course, is the Internet Gaming Entertainment Company. Mm. Okay. Okay, so they're based in Hong Kong, and they employed... This is what they did. They employed a whole bunch of low-wage workers and and Chinese workers to play the World of Warcraft. Their job is to play a video game. They paid them to do that? Yeah. What a nice guy. That's great. He's giving them jobs and go just go play video games. It's it's kind of the dream job, right? Like, (laughs) here's some money, play a video game. Uh, We'll give you pixie sticks and and an occasional... This is one of those massive multiplayer online games. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know. Yeah, Yeah. so... Or you kill people. Yeah, it's a role-playing game. You go around, sword and sorcery stuff. And you can earn treasures in the game. You can earn gold and special weapons and all that. And, you know, you have to sort of buy things virtually in the game. But it turned into a marketplace. Like, you could actually sell this stuff in the real world. So maybe you're a semi-wealthy... Dude, sitting in your mom's basement in, like, in I'm America. Too, I'm too lazy, or I suck at the game too much to to actually earn the, all this yeah, myself. You just go, so buy I just it. go buy it. Level from, awesome. from one of these expert players right. who's gotten so much equipment they can just sell oh, it to you. Okay, so wait, this is like globalization in a video game, basically, yeah, right? That's like a, that's exactly what. It, yeah, you got the low wage amazing. earners, but then you the low wage workers who are. Yeah, they're doing they're stuff. Professional video game player. Yeah, who cre- you know who create products, worthless products for high end consumers in the West who yeah. have you know extra money that I don't know what. That's fantastic. This, what so a they beautiful can, thing. They what? can walk strut around in the virtual world with all their all their gear. Right. Well, and don't forget the sixty million dollars that was basically and these are this funded is, this, this company. Goldman so Sachs is behind this. It's like a series of investment <laughs> banks behind this scheme. So they saw that there was that much profit in this. Yeah. The difference between what they were paying these poor guys who were playing this game and what they're selling the stupid yeah, shit on bling. the game for yeah. Yeah. was enough that that it felt like worth a sixty million dollar well, investment. Course. Yeah. Oh, wow. Why not? Amazing. Well, so the the mastermind behind all this uh, happens to be our false prophet of the day, little guy that you you may yeah. know called uh, Steve Bannon. Little guy, I don't know. Genius! This is freaking genius. <laughs> 
Wow. Well, we we can all hope to emulate it's that like the sort of evil deal. origin story. <laughs> Actually, I've I've learned a lot about Stephen Bannon. Never knew this about him. That was it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, he's got he had quite a life thus far, and we're gonna go it ain't over, over his yet. Body. It ain't over yet. So why are we talking about Bannon? Well, basically because he's got these pretty outlandish tactics that are designed to destroy contemporary society. And then he has a, an in, really a odd vision of the world post-collapse. So it's those two things in combination that, that make him a false prophet. He basically wants to push society over the edge. And then he wants this other thing to emerge that I think is a right. little bit sketchy. I mean, he's not, he's not happy to just watch it all burn on its own. He's, no, he's not like, busy trying to like prep for it. Oh, he's right? turning fans on he's like, yeah, the flames. Let, <laughs> let's hasten this this thing. And, and I think Steve Bannon would, on one level, seem like the most obvious of our false prophets in, in our list, just because of his crazy right-wing political views. And, oh, yeah. But that's not really what we're focusing on. It's this idea that he's trying to blow things up. I also think there's a lot to like how deep his philosophy goes. And it's fascinating where that comes from. But we're getting our head ourselves. Let's okay. All right. let's back up a bit and and you know, there's so much crazy stuff about Bannon we could we could go over. I'm just doing a quick rundown of like like kind of the stuff that's happening now. He may go to jail for contempt of Congress any day now and or for a scheme to defraud donors over the building of a border wall. Yeah. It was just a grift. I- I gave them so much money for that. <laughs> Nothing. Well, and that would be fitting because he really does have a lot of contempt for Congress. <laughs> <laughs> He's interacting with a lot of a litany of sort of shady characters and dealings, run-ins with Jeffrey Epstein. One of his buddies is this, is this Chinese billionaire, Go One Way who was raising money to establish an alternative Chinese government. <laughs> and and this, guy's, this guy might go to jail very soon, too. He was with the infamous Cambridge Analytica, which was involved in the 2016 election and some interaction with Facebook there, weaponizing social media for Donald Trump and Brexit. He's been funding right-wing political candidates and sort of movements, both in the U.S. and overseas, because of sort of the outlandish nature, the misinformation he's putting out, he's been banned on, on a lot of social media apps. He's been, he's been spreading disinformation like a, like a norovirus running through a cruise ship. Um, <laughs> Wait, he was spreading disinformation about a norovirus on no, the cruise ship? No, no, that, that was he's like, like no, spreading like it like a norovirus. Yeah, I, I appreciate your poetic license Thank there. You. That, was, that was well you. done. I, you just <laughs> never know these days. It could have been something he was actually pushing. He seems to have had a succession of pretty quick marriages and divorces three times now. Hmm. And there's a lot of reports from people that have worked with him that he's he's really a class A jerk in many ways. Nowadays, you can find him on a podcast that runs twice a day live for an hour. It's called Bannon Warmy. Twice like a, a day? He has a morning and an evening edition. Oh, that's so lovely. Wake up with Steve. Go to bed with Steve. Oh, and, uh, what a dream. Yeah, we'll get into a little bit more of the details of that show and what it's style like. Okay, so uh, thank you for that yeah. <laughs> run through. Let's talk about where he came from. He's born in 1953 in Virginia to a middle-class, blue-collar uh, set of parents. They were pro-union. They were Kennedy Democrats. So you see the So this is like a whole, like, um, what was that guy on the, the the TV show, Michael J. Fox's oh, character? Right, Alex. Right. Alex P. Keaton. Alex right. P. Keaton. <laughs> it's also like you. It's a rebellion right. against uh, views held by your parents. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> 
Okay, so he goes to a uh, Catholic military prep school, gets a urban planning degree from Virginia Tech. Mother, so how come all these false prophets go to the what same other, school what other as ones I go went to? to the same school? Well, Penn. I don't know. We've talked about like Donald Trump in the past. Oh, yeah. uh, okay. We talked anyway. Not too many. Come yeah. on. That's why I almost. Didn't go to college because you I didn't, didn't want go to, to Harvard associated. or Stanford. Luckily, because right. there's like tons from those yeah. places yeah. or Yale. Oh like, they're, they're not those taking the me anyway. That's... Yeah. Then he goes into the Navy, where he gets stationed in the Persian Gulf during the Iran hostage crisis and uh, the failed rescue attempt that happened there mm-hmm. uh, right around the beginning of 1980, I guess. Yeah, 79 uh, or 80. Yeah. You know, and he said that was a big impact on his politics. He worked at the Pentagon, and then as a said before in the beginning, he goes to Georgetown and Harvard, so uh, kind of an elite uh, elite person himself. Yeah, it's funny to think that, to, to recognize that, because so much of his rhetoric is, is sort of anti-elite. Yeah, right? populist. So, you know, after, after those stints, he actually turned towards entertainment. He did that because when he got hired by Goldman Sachs, which we talked about earlier, as an investment banker in the mergers and acquisitions division, he went from New York to LA to work in the entertainment industry. I guess that they were they yeah were, buying and selling companies. Yeah, entertainment they were investing businesses. in that stuff. He ended up setting up his own company, Bannon and Co. in nineteen ninety. It was like a, a boutique investment bank for the entertainment industry. That got him a role as sort of an executive producer on a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. let me let me cut in here for a sec because as the resident pop culture specialist yeah, here in great, Crazy Town, I. I went over to IMDb to check out his his hmm. list of movies. Yeah, how, uh, what's the Rotten Tomato score on these things? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Not real impressive. Okay. Let's just say that. Not a lot of big hits that you've heard of. You yeah, know? He's, 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 he's no James Cameron. No, no, he's not working with Steven Spielberg. Okay. You know, <laughs> but yeah, but he, but there's something like like 19 films or something he's produced. Yeah, he, it, it's, it's, it's quite mean, a bit. Most of them are like uh, bizarre right wing documentaries. Yeah. but. You know, the, pretty rough. You know, everyone's got to do their he's thing. Got, he's got his niche. But anyhow, at about this time, actually, while he's he's got this Bannon and Company thing going on and, and funding kind of crazy movies a little bit, he actually helped save Biosphere 2. You remember Biosphere 2? Yeah, that was the project to, like, close an ecosystem, yes. put some scientist inhabitants in there. Yeah, it's just outside of Tucson, Arizona, yeah. actually, north north of Tucson, and uh, there, I, a, there was a documentary with Paul E. Shore about what's that, that, right? What's that called again? <laughs> Biodome, Biodome, I believe. Yeah, yeah documentary. <laughs> yeah. I happened, I actually tried to visit it. So, you know, there's a picture. I got a picture of me outside the front of it, but they charged so much money. There was a line. I just, I just gave up. But it's actually a pretty fascinating story how that whole thing failed. Oh, yeah. So it fails really, completely. Really interesting. And there's this billionaire who wanted us to figure out how we were going to live on another planet and stuff like that, creating an ecosystem under a dome. It didn't work. The, play, the thing was a mess. And I think Bannon was brought in as this sort of like hatchet man. And he basically... Yeah, like the Mitt Romney of the Biosphere too, right? Like, uh, clean this thing up, basically. basically. Fire all these that's, people. That's funny. I thought he was like the Mr. Wolf of Pulp Fiction sure. coming yeah. in, the cleaner or whatever. But yeah. anyway, you can see videos of Bannon uh, you know, talking about this to the press. And it essentially got bought out by, I think, Columbia University and now University of Arizona. And they run it as like a research facility. So, so you, good, good, you did a good job. But you, you seriously couldn't get in. Like it well, was... I could have paid a bunch of money and stayed in line, but I didn't have much time. I wanted to kind of go look at it real quick yeah. but no no bling they charge so it's a uh, tourist attraction it's a big now. tourist attraction huh. yeah but then, then in in 2005 he becomes a founding board member 
of the right-wing news outlet Breitbart News, and that's kind of what people know him for now, right? Yeah. And it, it, it was it was started by this guy named Breitbart, and the aim was to be a kind of Huffington Post, but on the right, okay, mostly reposting other content. However, the founder Breitbart dies, and in 2012, Bannon took over as executive chairman. And he had, takes a more aggressive approach, mm-hmm. really expands it a lot more of their own staff. They have offices actually are many parts of the world, and they become aligned with the alt right nationalist movements, which were openly racist. They basically, you know, Bannon has there's quotes you can say like you know Bannon basically saying we are the we are the news outlet for the alt right. Um. Fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> good good times. Before we move on to, to talking about Bannon's worldview, right? The world that he wants to bring to life. I I, I find it fascinating, I got to say, just running through that little bio, dude spent some time in like these single industry towns that are, that are kind of interesting, right? So he spent time in New York, sort of Wall Street, yeah. right? D.C. D.C., sure. And L.A. Uh-huh. So no fucking wonder why he hates elites, right? Or says he hates elites. <laughs> Don't forget also the desert in Arizona where they only do biodomes. <laughs> That's right. What an, what an industry town. I found that kind of interesting. The other thing is really interesting is, and this, this came out in a, in a really interesting piece in Politico from t- 2017 by Eliana Johnson about like the fact that he's apparently, I mean, obviously he went to these these elite schools, but yeah. he's also like a voracious reader. Mm-hmm. And in fact, she quotes someone in the piece she wrote. She wrote, quote, he's a voracious reader who devours works of history and political theory in like an hour, quote, unquote, said a former associate whom Bannon urged to read Sun Tzu's The Art of War. Quote, he's like the rain man of nationalism. <laughs> what a great vision. Yeah, and we'll, we'll kind of outline what that really means, nationalism a bit. I mean, I think a lot of people understand it, but... I think we should shift then to his worldview then and how that leads to sort of nationalism. This was a rabbit hole I did not understand I was putting my head into. Yeah, uh, we lost you for a little while, I, there, Jason. We've talked about how our our lead researcher, Alana yeah. Zuber, has been put through the ringer having to delve into the biographies and the works of all these freaking false prophets. And I think... When we take a lead on outlining these episodes, like we, we get into that space too. And yeah. Uh, yeah, Alana and Jason are now talking about viewing videos of Husky and Golden Retriever puppies to kind of get their equilibrium <laughs> back. Yeah. Is it working? <laughs> I'll, I'll <die. laughs> we got to give them a few days. I got to get through this episode first. Okay, this is, I'm a little reactive right now, okay? This is a triggering episode. Okay, so, so, um, Bannon follows the philosophy of what's known as traditionalism. And that basically says that truth, including morality, are knowable and unchanging. All right. I, you might, you know, cut in if, if you need to be to restate something, but I'm going to okay. try to lay this out. They believe that there are these essential truths can be found through what is called divine revelation. And so many traditionalists read all kinds of ancient mystic religions and medieval philosophers. This could include Catholic scholars that, you know, Bannon, Bannon was raised a Catholic. So wait, d- divine yeah. revelation, does that mean there's some deity who is handing the truth to some medieval scholar? Well, it could, they could be of any age. In other words, they're not prejudiced against 
the time period in which something happens, because they believe that that these revelations could have happened to any person in the past, and they may have been written down, and that if they read all these these ancient texts that have survived the ages because they were useful, they were they considered important, that they might be able to glean some of these revealed truths. Well, and what but, about like a Dan Brown novel? Can they get right. something out of that? <laughs> yeah. Totally. But the bottom line is that they believe there are fixed tr- truths. Fixed truths that that right. there is there is a there is perfect truth. There is perfect mor- morality out there, right. and that. But that it it comes from these sort of divine revelations, okay? Not from Oprah. No, no, not from Oprah. Oprah. Now, what I uh, so the the juxtaposition, sort of the opposite of traditionalism, is what we know of today as liberalism. Not not neoliberalism. Not neoliberalism. So the the incarnation we have today is sort of modernism as well. I would say, Mm -hmm. and this this is sort of the glorification of the Enlightenment and science. that that the traditionalists say have sort of tossed out these wiser ways of the past. So traditionalists want to go back to social structures from these pre-Enlightenment eras, which ends up, of course, leading to rigid social roles for men and women. This tends to be very patriarchal. And the analogy they often use is, is that the leader of a nation is like the father of a family. Yeah, I think uh, Margaret Atwood described this pretty well in <laughs> Handmaid's Tale, right? Right. Okay, that's what I'm telling you. This guy, this is deep philosophical so, differences between these traditionalists and liberals. And do you do you see the traditionalists as throwing out the science, kind of saying, or, or at least uh, subjugating it to to this uh, social structure of the past? Yeah, I think they would they would be very skeptical of science and technology if it is going to undermine these other truths in a sense. It, and so this it's is about they, this 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 the idea of the enlightenment and and science and and study or whatever is just that you you're able to discover the world and to know things for yourself, right? And and that's dangerous. Well yeah, okay. So this this is an interesting distinction that is about the role of sort of individuals versus the collective. Yeah. And so the contrast between traditionalism and liberalism, it can maybe, maybe it can be understood as a distinction between, you know, the Enlightenment makes claims about the inherent human rights that are there, right? That, that we can, we can. Of the individual, the the rights of the individual. Individual uh, uh, individual human rights, the philosophers can talk about why there are human rights and what they are. And it's a lot of focus on the individual. Traditionalists emphasize that individuals actually have duty and it's virtuous for them to to fulfill their role in society. And so... Quick, quick idea. In a traditional traditional role. Yes, yes. Quick quick idea. Could we take... Steven Pinker, remember his book, Enlightenment Now, right. and uh, we could have him duke it out with Steve Bannon. Traditionalism Now. And, oh, my well, God. That'd we, be awesome. We, might, him in a ring we together. might get a decent philosophy out of that uh, out of that. Or just a great match. MMA fight. <laughs> yes, yes. So you can see how vastly different a worldview this is between what most people that live in modern society, Enlightenment era, I mean, hundreds of years back, we have sort of swept aside these traditionalist views. They often agree that, oh, yeah, a monarchy is a good thing. These inherited roles are actually a good thing to have. Well, yeah, it's a father of a father figure of the family. I yeah, watched right? a lot of Schoolhouse Rock episodes, and it's pretty clear that the king is no good. Right, right. right. Pretty clear. So they would say that the king, like a father, has a duty to perform well in their role that they don't maybe they should be kicked out as king right. so it's not like they say that there can't be bad kings it's just that 
there are right and proper roles that you have to follow. Now, traditionalism does not itself uh, espouse fascism. However, it quickly veers towards it. If you follow those who have taken up traditionalism as a philosophy and moved into the political realm, you can imagine that since they have these idealized truths, they also end up having, you know, there are best races or best ideas. And these forms are in contrast to others who end up being these demonized minorities. So it can get ugly very quickly. It's a recipe for scapegoating, it sounds like. Yep. So, I mean, obviously you can see some danger in that kind of philosophy, but I think that pivots us to the danger that you see in the tactics that Bannon actually employs to get this philosophy out and about as far as wide as he can. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned earlier, Asher, when you were talking about Rain Man of nationalism, of nationalism right. that, yeah. that Bannon was pitching the art of war by Sun Tzu on his friends. You guys ever read that book? I have not. No. I, I've read it. Yeah. Uh, In the original? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't want a translation. No. Come on. Yeah, we can't trust uh, those things. Well, I mean, the you know, there's a lot of stuff in there about how to defeat your enemy, right? You yeah. so confusion. You take their feet off? Uh, I don't remember that okay, part, okay. but you know, I could have I could have been misreading. He, the, he was trying to literal, yeah, literal. I got I got yeah, the yeah, thing. The Defeat. Uh-huh. Right. Good. Yeah. That good, one. good. Good oh, one. Jason. God, I thought I was I was supposed to be the one who the, the bad, traditionalist king of bad puns. Dad joke. Sorry. That was so good. Uh, okay. So the collective groan right now. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for that Bannon-esque disruption to my train of thought. <laughs> so yeah, his his whole thing is in the art of war is you know you want to disrupt what you're in is doing you want to sow confusion you know hit them where they're weakest you know turn your weaknesses into strengths all that kind of stuff it's funny you know that the the british did not read this before they showed up in red coats no and just sort of in line with guns it's the stupidest thing i completely like what are they doing what are they that was the right and sporting way to do the honorable (laughs) way you know to kill each other right standing in a line together but then again after reading the book, I never went out and secured sixty million dollars for a, 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 a sham gaming operation. So, well, yeah, and that's why you're no Bannon. I know. I know. Well, so we should talk about probably the most famous or the, the most well known area that that Bannon has engaged in in terms of of trying to bring forward this vision of the future, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think we should be clear here: he's wanting to collapse the existing system. Yeah. Right. Like it's not just having a vision that someday this will re- will revert back to a, f- a form of traditionalism. Yeah, you know, using normal political arguments yeah. and, and and ballot boxes. No, no, he's that's like, not good enough. No, it's not, we we have to make this happen. So you know, he's engaged directly in national politics, and he's done that primarily through the auspices of one Donald J. Trump. And there are a couple of ways I think that he he's done that. The big one is becoming the right hand man. You know, he ran his campaign when he ran the first time for president and saw him, I think it's fair to say, as a truly disruptive force. Yeah. And interestingly, the approach was was not one that he sort of invented. There's a there's kind of a model based upon this uh, man Evola who had Julius Evola. Yeah, who had, Italian Italian guy who yeah. had become sort of the right hand man to Mussolini, Benito ah. Mussolini who became the Anytime you can follow the tactics of someone in the Mussolini right. government, uh, soul to say no more. Yeah. yeah, Bannon, you know, Bannon really likes likes the the Evola, and he's a pretty 
outlandish, scary traditionalist. Right. Yeah. But Evola, so you can, I, I don't know if anyone's coined this as the Evola model, but there are others <laughs> in the world who, we are. who have attempted to do similar things. You look at Alexander Dugan in Russia. Some folks might know that name because I think his daughter was just assassinated or murdered in Russia. I think they were actually going after Dugan himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, this were pro-Ukrainian forces, supposedly, who had done this. And Dugan's been this very outspoken traditionalist yes. Highly sort of uber nationalistic Russian voice, yeah. pushing for much more aggression on the part of Russia. And now, so you kind of wonder, like, you know, you notice how Trump kind of was was praising Putin, you know, all this sort of stuff. And you see a lot of this now. And these this wing of the Republicans is a lot of sympathy for Putin, and it's because they share these traditionalist outlook. Right, Bannon was sort of the the Alexander Dugan. <laughs> And other, there are other strongmen. Yep. You know, there's Bolsonaro in Brazil, and there's a man named Olavo de Cavallo who was also kind of a really close confidant or right hand person to to him in in Brazil. And Ben has met with him. I yeah, believe. these yeah. guys have talked to each other. So yeah. the the playbook here is get close to these guys yeah. and use them to advance your your goals. Well, right? I, I don't know about. Evola, but I know about his right-hand man technique. I mean, I'm using it here at PCI. What? You yeah. are? No, I'm in here trying to push my agenda. On uh, me? Manipulate you to... Wait, I've been trying to do that with Jason. <laughs> Jason's the board president. Wait. Oh, we got to... Who are you trying to manipulate, Jason? <laughs> I, I just want I just want to go walk my dog and watch the birds. Oh. I mean... Oh, manipulating rough, the dog. No wonder season. we're not getting anywhere. Jesus. Okay. Um... Well, and then through Trump, you know, obviously he was working within the administration. He, was, he wound up being kicked out of the Trump administration, but was about trying to advance some regressive policies and stoke a lot of division. I mean, he really did see Trump as like this perfect, not even a foil, but but a shit stirrer, basically. And it wasn't just as a public figure who's like offending people and, you know, creating all kinds of division within society. It was also about enacting policies like the border wall and other things that, no, that may have aligned Muslim with... Muslim ban on the flight. Yeah, it may have aligned with the traditionalist worldview, but it also was stoking a lot of division, right? Yeah. And then even when Trump lost, he could use him to sort of destroy the political system. You look at all the stop the steal rhetoric. Yeah. Bannon was, was really pushing January 6th you know, getting people to come together. Yeah, that's on that why he's got a protest. contempt for Congress. They want him to talk about it, and he won't show right. up. That is really amazing from a tactical sense, and employing these art of war philosophies. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if he's the right hand man anymore, right? He got kicked out from being the right hand man, and he's still affected. Well, I, I can tell you, polarizing. He and Trump are buddies again, and Bannon. I've been listening to listen to his podcast. And uh, oh, my oh my God, he is really pushing the MAGA movement and Trump and stuff. So they're they're buds again. I'll just let you know that. Oh yeah, oh, such great news. <laughs> well, okay. So another dangerous tactic that comes out of this art of war philosophy is his mastery at manipulating the masses. We can go back to that story of the IGE, uh, mm-hmm. the, the gaming thing with yeah. with uh, Warcraft and. Their business model ended up failing in the end, but he became really interested in the whole online gaming community and figured out that he could be getting his political viewpoints and his messaging into that community. So really innovative 
way to recruit an army of you know potential uh, January sixthers or or you know a lot of the internet trolling. They call this GamerGate. You know, was one yeah. of the things where it's like somehow there's a spillover between these gaming communities and these aggressive men. Yeah, I mean, basically an army of online trolls, and they actually were a force in the 2016 election for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah, and then he also had the Breitbart news editor, Milo Yiannopoulos, that Bannon had, had recruited, and they were activating an army through through Breitbart as well. Yeah. So he's he's really good at looking at these kind of niche messaging methods and, and manipulating a whole slew of people to his cause. Yeah, so th- there's a there's a lot of use of media. Of course, Breitbart and now his war room, the the, the podcast. Which Full, you've been listening which to I've been, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, regularly. Yes. That's why you're wearing that shirt, right? The War Room <laughs> shirt that you're wearing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Full of disinformation, misinformation. It's fascinating. There's kind of this unrelenting hitting of the same notes and themes. Imagine there's two of these a day. So there's a lot to draw from. I can't, I, I, I listen to a small proportion of what's out there. <laughs> But our gets, listeners should thank you for doing this for them so that they don't have to do it themselves. I thank you. They, oh, we I will not it. include the war room in the show notes. Uh, no need to link to that. But what's fascinating is that almost every other episode is kind of hitting the same themes. And they're bringing along the, a lot of the same hosts on. And they're taking a lot of current events and interpreting them to hammer these same themes. And so you always hear that the election of 2020 was stolen. So there's a whole stop to steal stuff. They're really protective of January 6th. You know, it's not wasn't an insurrection. These are patriots. Uh, they're just protesting. They talk a lot about the financial system, how corrupt it is, that it could be on the verge of collapse. They talk about, you know, how money is made and stuff like that, and Ponzi scheme type stuff. A lot of distrust in the major media. They despise what we would call the transhumanists, the, the AI, you know, developers. They are really scared of these people. They believe this is going to cause existential well, risk. As and, we've discussed, we might agree with some of some. Well, of that's the things. thing, you know. And then they'll switch back to distrust of vaccines, fomenting about border security. And then they cut to the ads with a great theme song um, <laughs> of, uh, of the, the, the rapper uh, Chinese billionaire guy. <laughs> Miles Go. Uh, unbelievable. So the style, they, they have better ads than we do, I got to say. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, the guy st- that writes the copy for our ads is horrendous. I mean, so. he probably gets paid a lot for those ads, you know, buy gold, a lot of stuff like that. This hammering home of one message is pretty deep contrast to what we do on Crazy Town and more broadly at, at PCI. I feel like... We live in the gray space. We're kind of looking for nuance, new angles on what's going on. I mean, not to say that that we never discuss the same theme from one episode to another. I do the opposites but, overlap but, a lot, probably. Probably, yeah. but but I feel like we're and our jokes. Our I mean, jokes <laughs> I feel like so we're we're actually searching for different angles. You know, right. we're, we don't want to bore the audience, right? <laughs> right. Maybe we should switch though. We should just have two things we say over and over, <laughs> over and over again. Yeah. yeah. Well, here he is using media in different forms to to sort of manipulate people. What is he What is he trying to instill? I would say it's it's fueling this vitriol, this hatred, this this division, and the just distrust of elites, which is kind of ironic considering yeah. the guy's, you know, comes from a pretty elite. So wait, one of these himself. false prophets is actually a hypocrite. Yeah. That's what you're know, telling me. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> and unfortunately, there's a lot of truth in the distrust. I, I tell mean, you, I'm like nodding along with the guy sometime going, 
Wow. Okay. So he's almost got you to make the turn. You're you're almost a traditionalist. <laughs> and then he just goes off on something insane. And, and I just keep listening. You'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, something that's also interesting that he keeps pushing is that this is the time. Like this is the actual natural time for a crisis to unfold that will that will crash the system and bring bring forth a new age that that is going to be better. And it actually. It comes from one of his favorite books. There was a book in 1997 by these academics, Strauss and Howe, mm-hmm. um, and it called the, the Fourth Turning. And they argue that there's like these generational cycles, like four generations, 80 to 90 years per cycle about throughout history. And that right now we're in one of these crisis collapse phases. And, and Bannon identified the 2008-2009 financial crisis as sort of the beginning of this new era, this fourth turning. And he basically looked to Trump as the political figure who can just keep keep pushing us through this crisis, break it down, because in the crisis, the old has to fall for the new to rise. It's, it's really astonishing that really disquieting to me parallels. Yes. Because, you know, we also saw what happened in 2008 and <laughs> 2009, not just with... with you know what happened in the financial markets and the housing market, but also what, what was happening with with the energy system. Yes. You know, oil prices going up to one hundred forty seven dollars a barrel in two thousand eight, and then crashing. And before shale came online, seeing that we were hitting the wall with conventional oil, and like we saw that as a turning point too. I mean, our colleague Richard Heinberg wrote a book called "The End of Growth," you right? Know, in that period, of, right? This um, could be it, you know, and. And he actually, one of his movies is called Generation Zero. That's Bannon's movie in 2010. And it basically follows the Strauss and Howe argument and saying, this is the time. This is the time. You're not giving him enough credit here, too. He's the writer and director of Of Generation Zero. And uh, over there on IMDb, uh, the user approval rating, he's got a (laughs) 3.3, which is probably the worst I've ever seen out of a 10. 10. It's like really good movies get up into the eights, right? (laughs) Uh Yeah. And like uh, a crummy action movie, run of the mill gets a six or something. Yeah, but this is a conspiracy of elites who just go onto IMDb or whatever and downrate his stuff. Yeah, you know, I mean, that it's is true. Well, the the real people love it. You know, but I mean, imagine watching a movie that's just filled with Newt Gingrich and John Bolton and you know other other fun chaps like that. No, I, I will say so, Jason. Your point about the fourth turning. I mean, I think there's probably two things there. One is it could be a great communication sort of tool to sort of say to people, this is the time. Now you got to do this. Put it into context so people feel, in a sense, yeah. emboldened. It's a normal historical event you know, we're part of. You should be doing this. Right. I, I I also think he has been a student of history and is yeah. really fascinated by it and, and probably believe does it. believe in these cycles sure. as well, yeah. right? Yeah, and we, that's not the stuff that I kind of think in cycles too. So uh, yeah. kind of with him there, maybe. I guess the last thing I just want to point out, just we're, we're, we're talking about sort of different tactics and ways that, that the guy has been trying to engender this sort of collapse of the, of the social order, political system, whatever you want to call it now. He's also been supporting geopolitical discord, you could mm-hmm. say, right? So funding nationalist movements around the world, literally with a group that's based in Brussels called The Movement, mm-hmm. which, uh, uh, Rob, I'm just <laughs> waiting for the joke here. Maybe I'll just move on. No, just um, keep it going. Yeah, keep it going. Yeah, everyone knows. But can, can I also just say this is a weird tactic to go, I'm going to go global to go nationalist. 
Well, no, it makes actually a lot of sense. You want to, so, you know, I actually wonder, you know, we, you talked about that Chinese billionaire dude, right? Who, yeah, um, yeah. I hope we're pronouncing his name right. Go Wenguei, something like that. Yeah. Milo Go. Which he, I think, has a really fascinating story himself. But like, somehow Bannon is in bed with the dude. And maybe that relationship is also about, again, trying to create this discord. If if you want to recreate a national identity, if you want to create a more traditional society here in the United States, break down the geopolitical order, break well, down I mean, tear globalization. Up the, tear up the tarp uh, and, yeah. and, you know, and the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement. When, when this guy go, I mean, you shared with me, Jason, his uh, one of one of the things, one of the ways he's related to Bannon, and that's uh, Bannon uses his song. Yes, uh, it's wonderful. And almost podcast. every transition in the podcast is this so, rap song so by this fucking guy. Weird. He, so, so weird. Jason sent me the video to this thing, and you see Go on a yacht shouting, take down the CCP, you know, so right. he... And, the Chinese know, Communist Party. Yeah, and, and you know he wants to make it safe for him to, I guess, get more billions because he's on the deck of his yacht smoking a twelve-inch cigar, yeah. uh, and doing some weird kung fu shadow boxing stuff. And like, he switches between great outfits—all white suit, a sort of traditional Chinese kind of gown. Can we at least put this in the show notes? Well, maybe. Yeah. Maybe send people the video. I, Come on. I'm a huge kung fu fan, and uh, he's terrible. He's at not it. good at it. It's, it's, it's not the worst good. shadow boxing I've ever seen. But I have to say, of comedy yacht videos, this one. One ranks number three. I don't think it's supposed to be a comedy. Uh, well, <laughs> regardless of the intention, it's clearly a comedy. It's hysterical. I actually think the tune is kind of catchy. But let, well, let's see. Just, we're losing Jason. <laughs> let me let me put the rank. Yeah, I know he's he's off in in war room in land. land. Strip that shirt off. So uh, number one goes to worldwide prestige boats and hose from the movie Step Brothers <laughs> with, with Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Yeah. Number two is the Lonely Islands. I'm on a boat uh, yeah. from Saturday Night Live. Those with, are better. Uh, they're better. I, I agree. Yeah, they're funnier, but yeah. it goes pretty funny, too. It's hysterical, especially since it's not supposed to be. All right. So we're, we're, we've got another species here that we haven't had yet. Ooh, it, so it, exciting. This is very exciting. This one is Homo vandali, or what I call... The nom familiar is Molotov mixologist. Mm. So these guys are basically, yeah, willing to throw the Molotov cocktail, burn down the house. And they, essentially, they look at these existing power structures as, as locked in, irredeemable, likely to fall from their own defects. And so they, they then justify blowing things up sooner to get over with. Or, you know, more modestly, stoking the political chaos like, like what Bannon does. Yeah, and this somehow they they believe they will come out on top of the rubble, and I would say that you know I actually there's a lot of discussion in the taxonomic treatment that this may be a a, a species that has multiple species within it as currently circumscribed. I'm not sure because there's some very different philosophies out there that believe in this that believe in this strategy. Yeah, I mean, what you just described could easily be, we're talking about Bannon, but he could easily be somebody that's sort of on a far left spectrum. Right. right? So I have the type specimen is Ted Kaczynski. Oh, right. Which yeah. is sort of the, the, he's the darling of some of the anarcho-primitive. Right, the, right? the Unabomber with his manifesto. Yes. So anyhow, here's a, here's a, I think this is an important point because Bannon tries to keep himself clean a bit. He tries to say that 
He is not, you know, into the sort of the violin and stuff. He, he tries to back out from yeah. some of these things. But he's stoking the hatred and the division and funding a lot of stuff that ends up getting into these like fascist type of movements. So here's a quote from somebody who carried out a terrible, horrific attack. Why did you carry out the attack? To add momentum to the pendulum swings of history further destabilizing and polarizing Western society in order to eventually destroy the current nihilistic, hedonistic, individualistic insanity that has taken control of Western thought. Mm. So that is part of like the description of that's somebody explaining why they basically shot up a church. Molotov mixologist. So what have we learned by looking at Bannon's sordid history and this whole traditionalist and let's blow it up Molotov mixologist way that he's promoting? One thing for me is it's important to differentiate him, I think, from the the, the ecosystem of other people you could look at and sort of say are of, of a similar vein. So like an Alex Jones, for example, right? Okay. You know, you could look at them at the surface and say, oh, these guys are kind of the same, right? They're over the top rhetoric. They're promulgating conspiracy theories, yeah. whatever. They're scaring the pants off of people. But, you know, Alex Jones is like fucking grifter. I mean, the guy is, is out there espousing shit that is some of the most heinous, disgusting, yeah. disturbing things you could imagine. He's sort of doing it to upsell his vitamins or whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> like, I think I think Bannon really believes. Like, he has a mission here. He has more a political animal. He, is, he is doing things... In t- with intentionality, that's not just about trying to, you know, to run ads and make money. I'm sure he's running ads and making money too, but like he's got a purpose, a mm-hmm. mission, which makes him in some ways a lot more dangerous than the Alex Jones of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the ahas for me is something you referenced a little earlier about how disturbing it is that we can agree with Bannon on a lot of points. Yeah, um, really like, is disturbing. Uh, our close ally, Douglas Rushkoff, for example, would probably also agree with him on, on some of these points. And Yeah, he wrote, uh, a, wrote an essay about being invited to Bannon's show, The War Room. Yeah. Which was called how to, it was like how to, how to avoid becoming a fascist, and he explains why he didn't go on the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, and... You know, and, and Bannon, you, you mentioned how he's looking at an 80-year cycle. We've talked about that with Peter Turchin and yeah. uh, these cycles in history and sort of looking at how do societies adapt to changing conditions. And the adaptive and, cycle we refer to right, quite a and, bit. Mm-hmm. And there's the the idea that infinite progress is not something that, that we're going to see. So A real distrust and critique of technology and runaway technology. Yeah, right? and, yeah. and maybe even some of this, um, we need more local self-reliance type stuff. You know, we would try to look at that in a pro-social way as opposed to the kind of scapegoating and and uh, build the wall sort of way that the Bannon does. But there's some piece of that that you could say is in common. So it's, I think, you know, this happens a lot with false prophets. Some There's some nugget of truth in there, right? And they can kind of hook intelligent people with the truths. And then they go off in some set of conclusions that's just taking us the wrong direction. Yeah. I mean, and this is what I often, when I get in discussions with people about you know, our way of thinking, they often get nervous because they, they think like, if you scare people, if you, if they think, if people think there's going to be like limits or scarcity, then they're going to go down this tra- tact of out of uh, like shaming and outgrouping and, 
they worry about this. Well, and, they'll do that or they'll do the prepping thing right, or they'll yeah. do the fatalism thing. Yes. It's, right? a, it's a real danger. It is uh, a danger. But what, what upsets me is that if we leave, like, so many people resonate, you know, like we're nodding along with some abandoned stuff. Yeah. So many people resonate with his critique and this this dissatisfaction with the status quo and the, the distrust of the system, and which he's actively undermining, of course, but there is some, there is definitely truth in there. And on the far left, you've got these, you know, Ted Kaczynski type uh, followers, the anarcho primitivists, who want to collapse the industrial system so it doesn't end up killing all life on Earth. And Bannon is not, doesn't seem to have much of an ecological mindset. But you can see how, you know, the, 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 the right and the left come together wanting to burning it down at these extremes. And so, What's frustrating then to me and what I often argue with people, and we've gotten into this before, you know, when I talked to uh, Bob Jensen and we had this episode that dealt with ecofascism. Yeah. If we don't have any progressive or visions that are on the maybe populist side, right, that acknowledge people's pain and upset and, and, and the corruption, then the voices of, of the Bannons are going to own this narrative of this broken system that can't be fixed and needs to be replaced. And so that's an aha I'd like to bring here is like, no, we really need voices that are more of the pro- central centrist progressive end of things. Yeah, I, I, I see that. Uh, and that's obviously dangerous if there's no one to fill the void. I think there's another huge danger mm. in the whole collapse the system thinking, whether it's a Bannon style or Kaczynski style or whatever, you know, whoever's aiming for that is... I got to think the assumption is that something better emerges out of the rubble. You know, like the phoenix rises from the ashes (laughs) (laughs) and we've got suddenly a a better nation or a better government or a better ecosystem or whatever. But that's a really screwy thought because usually when you wipe something clean, it's not like the utopia just emerges, (laughs) right? Right, I mean, I, I went to a doctor and I was having gut problems and I said, well, what if uh, you just give me a bunch of antibiotics and we just nuke my gut and start over? And she was like, no, it's a terrible idea because you're just going to have the most virulent bacteria colonizing your gut first. The most aggressive stuff is going to take over. And I kind of see that as a way more likely outcome. Yeah. The sort of walking dead, meanest, uh, baddest people will kind of have the power if if we just wipe out the system no we go down that path and it's it's just horrific there's it's hard to turn it turn it off once it starts unraveling like well that. let's just say the bandit path is horrific either way right because yeah if they are successful <laughs> yeah. what's the end result a traditionalist world where women are subjugated i think and, there was a hulu you know. series about that. yeah right exactly <laughs> great this is great Okay, insufferability index. I'm thinking we make we make. God, this a, is gonna be so hard. We may get a ten, record. Ten. We, we may get it's a, a record ten. here. It's ten. Well, look, I think you know, like I'm saying, uh, it's a zero to ten criteria. Blah blah blah. What do I do with the fact that a couple of ideas? I'm like, yeah, I'm aligned with them. Do I? Is it's hard to give them a full high score from those? Do I? Do I? Do I take off a point? I want to start at ten because it's just <laughs> awful. 
But maybe I got okay, to back so start up. Off this, this is the first time you've ever started with a 10 and, and then deducted points towards easier that way. So start at a 10 and maybe take one off. That's I'll what take, I was going to do. All right. I'll just take one off. I'm giving him a 9. <laughs> Me too. I'm giving him a 10. Okay. You guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> Other podcasts ask for a lot of stuff. Buy their merch, join their Patreon, donate your left kidney. But we're just asking you to share the show. If you're like me and you find it funny and thought-provoking, then please tell three friends. Hit that share button and get some other people joining us in crazy town. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life has been wrong. My life is the complete opposite of everything I want it to be. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. Okay, we just heard from George Costanza. He always introduces our Do the Opposite segment. Uh, I think we might need to rethink this, guys. There's a little-known fact uh, about Steve Bannon, as if we didn't have enough stinking little-known facts about him. But every time Seinfeld episode gets aired steve bannon makes some money what? Oh, so God. we're 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 I helping this dude i didn't get to play a whole freaking episode what okay. do you what do you what do you mean though uh, so he he was a producer right so uh, oh, he, was he, a, he was uh he was an investment banker merger acquisitions kind of guy got some kind of tie uh to the whole seinfeld deal where he he gets royalties off of it. oh my Jesus. god i know i want royalties off of seinfeld yeah. So to do the opposite, we got to do the opposite of our clip and like. I think we need to have. Let's like, just talk to our attorney. I think we need to have some kind of like bot reading it instead of George Costanza. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, like, on a on a more serious note, do the doing the opposite. If Bannon is about sowing discord, breaking down trust in our institutions and our collective enterprise or collective experiment together. Uh, I think doing the opposite is promoting and practicing mutual aid, right? Mutual aid, solidarity, social cohesion over division. You know, even without the Bannons of the world trying to basically light the puppy on fire, we've got a lot of energy going in the wrong direction in yeah. terms of, of, you know, social media splintering people and the stresses that are that are, are being felt throughout the the modern system well, the literally successionist movements in states right but <laughs> now we have that going on right here like the uh, the entire eastern half of Oregon is yeah. looking to secede and become part of Idaho yeah but even without Bannon out there kind of you know stoking the fires we're having all kinds of crises that are, that are hitting us now and are going to worsen climate energy shocks economic what have you so what we actually need are to put in place efforts that build social ties, that build mutual aid and solidarity. We actually explored this in a two-part series that PCI did. Um, Rob, you were part of it. I was part of it as yeah. well, looking at mutual aid. It was called Mutual Aid in the Great Unraveling. Yeah, um, I, I got to interview Dean Spade as part of that, who's a, a law professor at, uh, up in Washington. And uh, he wrote a book called Mutual Aid building solidarity during this crisis and the next. And it, it was kind of opening my eyes that, you know, you throw around terms like mutual aid. I mean, there's there's actually kind of a rich history there and mm-hmm. a, a method to it. And I'm, I'm not going to claim to be an expert. In fact, I, I 
planning to go through that book in much more detail, but um, I would encourage our listeners to check that out. Okay, so I will have links in the show notes. You know, how do you find it? Is, is you can you can you search for this easily on PCI's website? Yeah, we'll put we'll put a link in the show notes. Okay, great. I also think that you know, as Bannon is trying to sow distrust in collective institutions. Maybe we should think about building trust. And the building of the trust happens only if you participate to make them more trustworthy, to make them more transparent. And of course, that's a lot easier to do if you're local. So there is actually a a series of of 25 articles at resilience.org called Democracy Rising. It was organized, or the Deliberative Democracy Series, actually, organized by Tom Prue. And it's about really focusing on community-led democracy. So how do you how do you get together and deliberate and sort of share power and decision making? And it, and uh, I think it's a very useful thing to do, especially as as you know for this mutual aid process. Be yeah. ready to to like work together and get through you know the crisis we're going to be facing. And I'll just add another resource along those lines, which is there's there's an international group called the Global Tapestry of Alternatives that has done a lot of work, Ashish Kathari and Shristi Bajpai and others there, um, supporting these networks and models of different forms of collaborative democracy and decision-making communities all around the world. So it's not just yeah. looking at how we could do that in a place like the United States, but but in other places as well. I mean, because part of what I think about is like if if if, if we're if the if these guys are talking about how democracy has failed, you know, the question really is how well have we really worked to to make the democracy what it what it can be. And I think we really haven't put enough effort into that. Yeah. And I think for the three of us, our do the opposite charge is to go get jobs at Goldman Sachs so that we can fund these uh, right. deliberative democracy That's initiatives. That's a great idea. Yeah. You think, I think, will they have us? Oh, no doubt. I'm going to go get a Harvard MBA right now. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you made it this far, then maybe you actually like the show. Yeah, and maybe you even consider yourself a real inhabitant of Crazy Town. Someone like us, who we affectionately call a Crazy Townie. If that's the case, then there's one very simple thing you can do to help us out. Share the podcast, or even just this episode. Yeah, text three people you know who you think would get a kick out of hearing from us bozos. Or if you want to go way old school, then tell them about the podcast face-to-face. Please, for the love of God, if enough people listen to this podcast, maybe one day we can all escape from crazy town. We're just asking for three people, a little bit of sharing. We can do this. We all know about the Patriots plotting to take down the grid. Before they do, all good Christians should prepare to thrive without the trappings of hedonistic, corporate profit-maximizing modern utility services. And sure, you can buy a set of PV panels, but these so-called renewables are weak and funded by satanic liberal companies with a globalist agenda. Also, the supply chains for these solar devices fund dictators, and most are made by the CCP. And that is why I'm encouraging Crazy Town listeners to invest in one particular precious metal. Sure, you probably already have silver, gold, and platinum, which are essential once the banks are shuttered. But those aren't enough. 
Perhaps the most important metal you can possess to secure the safety and comfort of your family is uranium. With the Home Uranium Kit, you will have a piping hot slab with thousands of applications. Drop in a bathtub and heat the water in minutes. Toss it in the oven and bake your potatoes. And at night, my friends, it will gently glow and lighten any room. Mined and refined in America, the Home Uranium Kit should be in every Patriot's pantry. Now to get these, go to HomeUraniumKit.com and put in the code CRAZYTOWN to get 10% off your slab of hot American uranium. That's HomeUraniumKit.com, purchase code CRAZYTOWN. Crazy Town, da, 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 Crazy Town.